Hey guys, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. So today, we are going to talk about what to consider when making investment decisions. And we have back again with us, Lauren. Again, I have butchered your name, but welcome back again. Thanks, Junus. Great to be back on your esteemed podcast. Yes, it's always great to see you. So today, I wanted to talk about you know what to consider when making investment decisions for the retail investor who might not necessarily be in the finance industry, but they want to know what are the things that they should consider when making investment decisions. You know, the last podcast, we usually talked about, you know, like the importance of doing your own financial analysis, having a perspective on free cash flow generation abilities of the company, which not everybody can do. And then going all the way into it, like having a view on the macro environment, which again, you know, if, if, if somebody is not like looking at the news and like thinking about the world, it's not easy to have that worldview. And when we look at a retail investor, we actually see, you know, a whole spectrum, right? Because where we have seen very prudent behavior where one's maximum list level of risk exposure is to maybe like bonds. And on the other hand of the spectrum, we have that kind of frenzy buying behavior, a lot of like Wall Street bets kind of like meme stocks, crypto bros, that kind of like super, super risk-taking behavior. So while a fundamental analysis and a contrarian investing approach lies somewhere in the middle of this risk-taking spectrum, what are your thoughts on the two groups described above? Well, uh, I believe in financial education. Mm. The concept of diversification is you don't put all your eggs in the same basket. Mm -hmm. right? So this is something that is basic in terms of investing. Yes. And sometimes a lot of retail investors don't even think about this basic uh, concept of diversification. I, I, I actually would argue that I think that conceptually they know it. They know that diversification is safe. They know that it's not good to put all your eggs in one basket. But the overlying emotion of greed comes over. Because let's say if, you know, like whatever, meme stocks or like some high growth stock or back, back then me, like GameStop, for example, where they, they see that upside and a lot of them are so like tempted to go all in. It's very emotions driven. Yeah, that's, that's the problem of investing, right? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of uh, emotion that is put in our investment. Uh, and we should actually make it emotionless. In fact, you should be emotionless. I always tell my clients or my colleagues, don't fall in love with a stock. Mm. This could be the first mistake. Because once you fall in love with a stock, it's become irrational, right? Mm -hmm. When you love someone, it's, there's a lot of irrational behavior. Mm. While investing should be a very rational act, right? Because yes. we are dealing with our hard-won money at the end yeah. or with the hard-won money of other investors if we are a portfolio manager. So, mm. And the most important concept is, is to know risk tolerance and investment horizon. Mm -hmm. I would say that the risk tolerance is the individual willingness and ability to withstand fluctuation. Mm. And we know that this is part of the emotion because... The uh, heart sinks when the stock price goes down. That's the emotional part. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I guess that investing requires a bit of uh, discipline. Mm. You have to be... As rational as possible mm. in investing. So you need to be disciplined. So 
you need to have your stop loss, let's say. Mm -hmm. You need to know how much can I lose? Mm. How much can I afford to lose? Mm. How much uh, volatility can I afford in one investment? And mm. it depends from one person to the other because we are all different. We have all different uh, time horizon in terms of investing. We have all different we have demographic, different circumstances, different, different circumstances, people. different amount that we have committed to put in our investment. So it's important to be very rational. But the, the issue is that money makes people crazy, right? Mm. <laughs> and makes people dreaming. So it's more I enter this trade with the money that I will get from this trade, I will buy that or mm. I, will, I will get this. Mm. And so the irrational behavior start to enter the investor. So to come back on the risk tolerance, this is linked to the financial objective of the of of the investor. Mm. And I I understand that for a retail investor is is very difficult to get a sense of risk of it, but clearly we need uh, or investor need to to balance risk. Yeah. Because this is a crucial aspect of making successful investment. Mm. Successful investment is not only to select the right stock or select the right fund or select the right ETF. It's, it's to know your risk tolerance and know how much pain you are ready to feel when the trade turns sour. Mm. And try to avoid to be too euphoric when the trade is successful. How to avoid being too euphoric when the trade is too successful? I mean, I guess if you have exited a trade and you made maybe like two, two X in one year, the person can be euphoric, right? Uh, yes, I, I think that one way and a way that professional investors do, right? They, they look at what is the target mm. in terms of gain. And what is the maximum loss that uh, they are ready to accept uh, on this trade? So they can use uh, fundamental analysis, technical analysis. But this is the principle of put a stop loss and a profit taking. Mm, yes. And then you look at which way the stock or the trade is going. And these stop loss and profit taking levels are not uh, in stone, right? I mean, the, the market is a, is a living uh, behavior. So you need to manage your profit taking and your, your stop loss with, with the market evolution. But this will be a very disciplined way to manage portfolio. We, I mean, I, I think a lot of professional investors are using that, uh, that approach because it's a way to consistently uh, book profit and try not to be too euphoric because mm -hmm. we all know that if we see the stock going up 20%, we are going to imagine it can go another 20% mm -hmm. up. I mean, uh, you can take the example of the cryptocurrency, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people were euphoric, see Bitcoin, mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40,000 and say, okay, it's going to 50, then it goes to 60. And when it's at 60,000, everyone tell you our oh, Bitcoin will 100. reach 100,000 next month. Mm. And from 60, it went back all the way to 18,000 mm. in almost two, three months. Mm. So you want to avoid this, right? You want to avoid that at 60, I... Okay, I'm gonna target hundred thousand, and at eighteen thousand, you want to avoid to to sell uh, at the low or so. So, I think that a very disciplined way to do it is, even if you are not a, 
a professional investor is you target a maximum gain and a maximum loss that you can afford on a, on a trade. Yeah, and, I, and I'll add to that thing of, you know, what retail investors could look out for. And I think, you know, one thing that we could also think about is also the assumptions that you have built into, you know, that put, the potentially that target price, right? Because I think, let's say, if we are looking at a company and let's say the assumption is that they do expand, we are, we are betting on their successful expansion into the various other markets with new product lines. And, and, and we need to track that story to see if that assumption plays out. Because if that assumption doesn't play out for whatever reason, then we also need to adjust our target price. Because then it would be difficult to hit that top line, first of all, before we even go down to earnings. But I think that uh, try to implement a very systematic way of managing portfolios is very important. Mm. It reduces the impact of this uh, behavioral kind of uh, issue that investors can have. It also avoids investors to fall in love with a stock. Mm. Because once you fall in love with a stock, the irrational is uh, taking over, right? Mm. And, and when you are in love with someone, or uh, you are ready to to say, "Oh, oh, it's okay. Mm. Uh, I, I will forgive. Mm. Uh, I will forgive her. I will forgive him." Mm. So you forgive the stock for not uh, losing twenty percent, mm. which is not the right thing, right? It, if the stock has lost 20 or 30%, maybe it's because there's really a problem with the company you are invested in. But, you know, we also talked about having conviction in the stock, right? And, and this goes back to the principles of being a contrarian investor. If you are so... If you're very clear on your investment thesis, you have a very strong conviction. If the stock drops by 20%, shouldn't you be tempted to double down and buy? Well, I, I think that there's conviction and risk management. Mm. My experience is that a lot of investors, including professional investors, are not enough focused on risk management. Mm. I mean, I, I've been before a fund manager, I manage mutual funds, and I always think that my colleagues or my peers only talk about the rosy, mm. the rosy outcome. Yes. And the, the retail investor, we also only talk about the rosy outcome of this trade mm. and never talk about... If it goes wrong, what could happen? Mm. I'm more on the kind of getting worried of what it go if it goes wrong, what will happen rather than capturing the last, uh, I would say, 5 or 10% of, of the upside. Mm. Because again, I come back with this. If you lose 50% on an asset, you need to double, double it yes. to recover your capital. So I think that the first principle of managing a portfolio is to minimize drawdown, minimize losses. Mm. It's very difficult because it, it requires kind of a discipline. But a lot of successful, especially hedge fund managers, in fact, are successful because they manage very well their their losses, their drawdown. It's not that they are very spectacular investors, but they are very uh, rigorous in terms of managing their drawdown. So mm. this requires a discipline. It's, it's something that is, I guess, not very, I would say, sexy to implement mm -hmm. because it comes with risk management, mm. uh, but it's part of a successful investment journey. Mm. I always tell, don't be a hero. <laughs> It's not even. It's you is don't. It, it sounds very Singaporean. <laughs> do you get do you do you get it from your time living in Singapore? Do not don't be a hero. 
I can, I, I can, I can I imagine can, Singaporean, can. Singaporean moms telling this to their kids, right? Don't be a hero. As I said, uh, to be successful, you have to minimize lo- your losses mm. and kind of optimize your gains. Mm. And this is part of the mantra, don't be a hero. Right? I mean, mm. the hero is just, just someone who is the normal person, take MRT, go to work, nobody notice him. But it can be a very successful. And in fact, again, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs or investors are under the radar screen or because they don't want to, to be a hero. They are very humble. I think, I think something that is also very important in, in investment is be humble. Mm. The market can teach you a lesson every, every time, every mm. day. Mm. And the market is always right at the end. Mm. So being humble is very important. And unfortunately, a lot of, I mean, finance is not really the industry where you can find humble <laughs> person. <laughs> Quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> but I, I, my experience, I'm very humble. Mm. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I, I try to learn of my mistake. Mm. And I think that uh, it's very important to be humble and not to be a hero. And this is part of knowing your risk tolerance. Another aspect which is very important is the the investment time horizon. Mm. Here again, contrarian investor, you can be right in uh, six, nine or 12 months, but you can be very wrong today, tomorrow and in the next three months. Yes. So it's your holding power. Mm. And again, what I would advise to retail investor is to kind of create two buckets in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. One bucket would be like the foundation, something, all these assets that will give steady growing income mm. and which are more the buy and hold strategy, something that you believe in. Mm. and you don't really trade every day. You are not going to look at the price every day because, let's say, I'm very bullish on Vietnam equities. Mm. But Vietnamese equities can go... I mean, it's a, it's a frontier market, so you can have 5 or 10% move exactly. every day. It's more volatile, and you don't even know about like also like currency risk. Yeah, so, so th- I mean, but if you say, okay, for... In the next five, ten years, this thematic mm. will, will do well. Mm. Just buy and all, you can do a dollar averaging uh, strategy rather than buy the whole position at one go. You you buy a little, I mm. mean, a, a little every month and uh, you will cost averaging over the period and this will give you a good uh, return over the long term. So this is more like... The, the foundation of the portfolio. And Mm -hmm. then, I mean, for those who are more keen for the more spicy or the trading opportunities, I I guess you can take a bit more risk on this. Mm. Uh, But clearly, this is where I think that you need to be very uh, diligent in terms of putting your stop loss, you putting Mm. your take profit. Because I, I, I would say... At the end of the day, stay rational. Stay rational. Don't fall in love with your stocks. Yes, uh, I mean, the, the stock market is not the place to fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. So when, when it comes to investing, right, there's the whole range of things that we talked about, like target price, holding period, you know, bet sizing, capital allocation, like the two buckets 
the you know the two buckets that you talked about and then there's also that further I guess personalization in accordance to one person's life situation and their risk-taking appetite but as a for a retail investor what do you think are the absolute key things to look up, look out for if we are building a laundry list of items well I can fi- I can make a five points list mm. so uh, first is save gradually and regularly mm. means that I mean, it's managing your budget. You will set aside one one part of your income as savings, and then these savings invested in, uh, as I say, in a diversified portfolio across asset class, across geographies, across thematics. And uh, again, I come back with this strategy of dollar cost averaging mm. rather than buy at one go. Let's say if you have 10 assets and you allocate $1,000 to this each of these 10 assets, buy every month, buy $1,000 worth of it. So if, it, if, it, if the stock price goes up, you're going to buy less. If the mm. stock price goes down, you're going to buy more. Mm. All in all, you, you are, we will have a very nice uh, average price. Mm. Over the long term, This is the, I think this is the best strategy for long-term investment. Mm-hmm. I, I would say also one recommendation is only invest in what you understand. Mm. And here, I mean, look at what kind of financial products you are investing in. Uh, always take this uh, this uh, example. You go to the supermarket, you don't buy blindly uh, your groceries. Right? You look what's inside. You look what's inside the packet. You, you, you want to know what's inside. You, But I feel that sometimes people buy a financial pro- product without knowing what's inside or yes. what, is, what are the risks of these financial products. You're right. And, and again, here, if I can say, I will blame the jargon used by the financial professionals mm. because the financial professionals are really keen to use a lot of jargon terms. And for the retail investors, sometimes it's, it's too complicated. And then... They, they they have this reflex to, okay, he's the professional, so I'm, he has my trust. I, I feel he has my trust. But the issue is that look at what you buy. Look at, I mean, I always teach my students to read the fact sheet of a, a financial product. Usually mm. it's only a two-pager. Mm. At least you know where what you are invested in. Yep. And don't fall of the in the trap of the the jargon used by the professional of the industry. Yes. This is a this is a trap that is used by it's so sales, common the salesperson, right? Yes. Because at the end the banker has only one interest is for him to buy his product. To make a it, sale. It, to make a sale because mm. he's he's selling something like he's selling a carpet at the wet market. Yes. At the end is, I mean, financial industry has, has become like that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's always important to to really understand the incentives of why somebody is telling you something. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, because they are good and not so good financial advisor like like everywhere. Mm. But try to understand what you buy. So look at the fact sheet of uh, the product. Mm. And is I would say I don't ask you to look at the prospectus, right? The prospectus is five or four or five hundred pages, pages long. Nobody <laughs> reads, right? Yes. I mean, three people on earth read is the auditor, 
de regulator and uh, sometimes the fund manager before he launched the fund needs to read the prospectus yeah. but I'm not even sure that the fund manager read always the prospectus but the, the fact sheet is a two-pager and usually you will have everything there you mm. will have uh, what are the terms of your investment mm. very important to understand in what you are investing because I mean if you invest in a stock you know it's a stock but if you invest in an ETF is it an active ETF is it a passive ETF what are the fees mm. I mean sometimes it's, it's very simple in two pages you are going to find the, the information mm. then the amount that uh, you invest should be an amount that you don't need in the foreseeable future this mm -hmm. is the basic of it's cash of flow. saving yes You, ensuring you, there's cash flow so that you don't need to exit a certain position yeah, at a so loss. So you maybe. don't need to, you don't need to exit something at a time when it's not uh, the right time to do it, mm. because the financial markets are very volatile, and uh, you don't want to be a false seller in a bear market. Yeah, this is something that you should avoid. So, what is the amount that you have invested is there, and is something that is there for your retirement plan, I would say, private mm. retirement plan. Mm. Something that you don't expect to touch on in the short term. Mm. Got it. And, and finally, avoid to overtrade. I think one issue that a lot of retail investors have, they overtrade mm. because they feel, I overtrade, I'm doing something. <laughs> and, and in fact, uh, finance is... One of this industry, when you do nothing, you are already doing something. Means that staying invested is doing something. Mm. But again, it's kind of against the the conventional wisdom, right? Because if you if you stay invested, you are kind of passive. But in fact, by being invested, you are doing uh, something. So mm. I, I would I would advise don't overtrade, even that. Here again, the financial professional will try to make you overtrade because it's it's based <laughs> on their business model. Yes, and and for sure, even trading platforms. I mean, they benefit basically from transaction volume, whether or not. I mean, any kind of platform would would, would because they are making fees of that transaction. Yes, they yes. would love it if there's a lot of trading volume, but that doesn't necessarily help the investor because basically they're paying fees every time if when you're taking into account your returns then you need to take into account the fees that you're paying trading in and out of a stock yes that's why I think that the discipline to put a take profit and to put a stop loss on a trade once you have entered a trade is the right discipline because you are not going to over trade you are going to know how much I will lose mm. I mean what's the worst case scenario mm. And how much I can I can win? What is the best case scenario for for this uh, for this trade? So uh, I, I would say a bit of discipline is is required. And uh, fortunately, retail investor can can learn. I mean, I think that the government has something to do. Mm. It's something that is part of our life, right? I mean, saving and accumulate future income is part of our development uh, as a human being. Mm -hmm. And this is clearly not covered by the educational system. It's not only in Singapore, I don't know. And even in Europe, no no educational system is talking about how oh, to diversify 
or to or to invest the basics or, or even uh, the principle of compounding interest right mm. i think for a lot of people this principle of compounding interest is something that is not really understood uh, that if you place hundred dollars at two percent you're gonna get hundred and two that you replace the hundred and two at two percent and it's going to grow 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 this basic uh, financial uh, concept is sometimes uh, not very not well understood by everyone so I think this this is something that the government should uh, look at for the educational system I think it's changing I think like, for example in, in Singapore at least there like CPF is uh, really putting a lot of effort into financial literacy and at least encouraging Singaporeans to put money into the CPF which then compounds out of four to five yeah know? yeah this is and, this and is, that's the part this where is, they talk this is, about this is changing interest. this is true but uh, I would say that it would be good that we have like a, a basic class of financials. Mm, I think so. And I guess, you know, listeners can find out more from you as well, because, uh, you know, because of what you write on your website. But I think, you know, what I went through, um, you know, what you wrote, and I think that it's a lot, it's a lot higher level than just talking about compound, the power of compounding. No, yeah. I mean, the substack is, uh, I try to, to simplify as much as possible uh, global macro mm. problems. Mm. It's not always easy, right? Because a global macro can be, can be very complex. But uh, I, th- I think that investing and in global macro can be fun also. If you look at my substack, I, all, I mean... Uh, I discover, I learn how to use mid-journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I try to use the, I, I try to make the best use of mid-journey and I try to make it fun, to, to make it, to make it attractive. Even uh, clearly there are concepts of global macro that uh, can be very difficult to, to explain to, to retail investors or even to any kind of investors, I guess the mechanic of, uh, monetary policy is, is very difficult to explain but I try to to make it as affordable as possible because I think it's important for everyone to understand what is at work with monetary policy, fiscal policy and all this kind of uh, event that are impacting our daily life at the end. Mm, yes, I think, I think you went through a good laundry list of five points which I think is quite comprehensive um, and for listeners who want to find out more about, you know, the work that you do or read more in the Substack, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can follow me on X Twitter and L-E-Q-U-E-U and I'm also on LinkedIn. And so I have a Substack called TrillionX where I put a free weekly macro newsletter at right as I said, to make it as affordable as possible for everyone. Cool. We'll link it on the show notes as well so that people can click through. But thank you so much for being on. It was great having you on. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, 
please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from Mediacorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.